When the time came up for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb should be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there's a man in Jerusalem whose name is Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit of the temple when the parents brought in the Christ child, or the child uh, Jesus, to do to him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in the arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your depart, servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother were marveled at what is said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is oppressed or opposed. And the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that through so that the thoughts of hearts may be revealed. And there's a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineo, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until and then as a widow until she was eighty four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. That's God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, it is good to be here. It's good to be uh, not just around your people, but it's good to be around your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you bless the preaching of your word for the glory of Christ. Pray you use us just to see uh, how glorious he is. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so for those here who are into liturgical calendars, which I do think at times liturgical church calendars can be helpful, you know that yesterday, Christmas Eve, we came to the official end of Advent, which is a tradition in church history, a tradition in the liturgical calendar, meant to help us anticipate what we're celebrating today, uh, which is Christmas, which marks the celebration of the incarnation of God, as God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ to dwell among us, to be fully man and fully God, born on Christmas to die for his people as our representative. So by the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection that Jesus had on the third day, by grace through faith, we might find forgiveness of our sin and that we might be adopted into God's eternal family. When it comes to liturgical church calendar, Advent really is my favorite uh, tradition within it. I really like Advent because I like the intentionality of taking a few weeks to work on our anticipation, particularly of our anticipation of good that is to come is something that as Christian people we should have as part of our faith. We should be anticipators of good. Uh, of good, And we should have this anticipation of good not just during the Advent season, but more than that. Hopefully we are living our lives in such a way we are anticipating good. Like good that awaits us. Good that is to come. When the greater Christmas actually comes. When our Lord returns for us. But this time when he comes, it won't be as a humble baby, but as a conquering, crucified, and risen king who will come to judge the living and the dead and to fully establish and set up his eternal kingdom where God himself will dwell with his people forever. And hopefully, as Christian people, we're joyfully anticipating that reality. 
joyfully anticipating Christ to come, knowing that one day in the presence of God is better than a thousand elsewhere. Because when Christ comes, we have this great anticipation of no more sickness, no more death, no more sadness. We have anticipation of fullness of love, joy, and peace. Let me say it again. That should be part of our faith. This is why we pray with the scriptures, the great prayer of anticipation that ends the Bible, of Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. By the way, because of the anticipation of Christ to come, this internal good that awaits God's people of faith, I would argue that living with anticipation of this good is actually one of the ways that we are salt and light to the world around us. We know this. We live in a world that does have anticipation, but the anticipation that the world around us has, Elizabeth, is not of good to come, which is why so many in the world around us live with like fear and worry and anxiety. We're different. We anticipate good, which is why Advent is a tradition that I really like. Now, with all that being said, even though as Christian people we're called to be anticipators, we should live with joyful, eager anticipation in our life. As Christian people, we're also called to be patient. Patient anticipators who patiently wait upon the Lord, who patiently wait for him to work out his good, eternal plan. And this is actually also part of living out our faith. This brings us back to our text today, which is where we left off last week in Luke chapter 2 which is a text where we see a couple of older individuals who had to patiently wait to meet the long-anticipated Christ child. Now, just a reminder where we left off last week. So the Lord Jesus was born. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. And then shortly after his birth, we read that an angel of the Lord came to some shepherds, lowly shepherds, who were watching their flock by night in a nearby field. And as the angel came to the shepherds, he declared to them good news of great joy that Jesus, the Savior of the world, was born. So in our text last week, after the angel uh, declared this message, we see that the angel departed, went back to the heavenly realms, and the shepherds, they went and they sought out the Christ child in Bethlehem. And as they went to found the Christ child, they testified to all around which was revealed to them by the angel of the Lord. And they revealed, or they declared and testified to the Christ child because their hearts were stoked with incredible worship of God. Last week in our text, we also read, in keeping with the Old Testament custom, eight days after his birth, our Lord was taken by his parents, Mary and Joseph, to be circumcised, where he was given the name Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation, which is the good news of great joy. That through Jesus, God saves all who humbly come to him. As I mentioned today, we just pick up where we left off. A passage of joyful, patient anticipation. Where we see two characters who exemplified patient anticipation for us. So look back at me in the text, starting at verse 22. Verse 22, we see that Mary and Joseph sought to raise Jesus according with the Old Testament law given by Moses. So in the text, we see they took their newborn son to the temple in Jerusalem. Now here, we don't know if after the birth of Jesus, they simply stayed in the area, or perhaps they traveled back to Nazareth, only returned to head to the temple sometime later. But we do see that they took Jesus to the temple. And they took him to the temple for purification and for presentation before the Lord. So the purification, this is an act that parents were to do 33 days after the birth. 
So you can read more about this in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, chapter 12. The presentation listed in verse 23, this is part of the Old Testament uh, law of the Lord. For every firstborn son, they're to be presented before the Lord, to be called holy before the Lord, dedicated to the Lord, almost like a first fruits offering. So you can read about this in Exodus 13. If you remember the story of the Passover, where the Spirit of God spared all the firstborn sons of Israel who had blood covering the door frames. In our text, as Mary and Joseph follow and obey the law of God in terms of purification and presentation, we also see in verse 24 that they are also obedient to the law in terms of bringing an offering to the Lord. Leviticus 12 also details this. And we see in the passage, the offering they brought with them was two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, let me hit pause here. There's a couple things to take note of. So first, when we think about Mary and Joseph and these acts of taking Jesus to the temple, this is them seeking to fulfill the Old Testament law, right, in terms of purification, presentation, offering. And I think this communicates something to us concerning their godly character, right, to give us a good example of what it looks like to follow the Word of God. Now, if we take a step back and think about the, all the things that just happened to them uh, just in the last few months. So Mary and Joseph, both were visited by angels. Mary gave birth to the long-awaited, the long-anticipated Messiah. They had incredible things happen around them that Mary was now pondering in her heart. And because all these incredible acts happening around them, happening through them, think how easy it would have been to get like kind of puffed up, to start to think like the rules, the commands of God, that they're for everyone else, but now they don't apply to them. Like somehow they're above God's law. In the text, they didn't do that. They stayed humble before the law of God. Second, as Jesus Christ came, we know the scriptures teach, teach us, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And we see the reality even here in our text, from his earliest moments as Jesus came to dwell among us, he is now fulfilling the law of God. Right? The law of God, it's good. It's good when used lawfully. Third, just take note of the, the turtle doves or the pigeons. So this was actually a poor person's gift. So typically, the sacrifice given would have been a lamb. But for those who cannot afford a lamb, provisions of law were given for them to give an offering that they could afford. For Mary, for Joseph, all they could afford was the poor person's offering. An offering that the Lord clearly accepted as one of value in his sight. By the way, I think this does add a little bit more when you think about the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only was he humbly born among animals, laid in a manger on the first Christmas, but he was born to very poor parents. So no doubt, as Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor among all the people, he did so with all the various challenges and strains that come with poverty. In fact, Jesus' entire earthly life seemed like one where he was like extremely poor by earthly standards. And even into his ministry, he had like no place to lay his head. Even into his death, right, he died the most humble of deaths. And his body had to be laid in a tomb that someone else had to provide for him. Verse 25. As Mary and Joseph were seeking to faithfully fulfill the Old Testament law of God at the temple, we see that they ran into a man named Simeon, who was also at the scene. And he's actually the first model character of patient anticipation for us to see this morning. So in our text, we see a few details about this man. 
We see in the text that he was righteous. He was devout in his faith. Uh, we see that he was patiently waiting for the consolation of Israel, which if a word you're not familiar with, it basically means like comfort and hope. So we're assuming that is what he is waiting for Israel to have, to have comfort and hope, which was the promise of good news found in the Old Testament, the promise of great, incredible anticipation for God's people, for comfort and hope to come. This promise that they had to wait for thousands and thousands of years. And for Simeon, I think you get the sense at this scene that he was patiently waiting for this anticipation like his entire life. Patiently waiting for the Christ to be born. Patiently waiting for the fullness of time to come. Keep going. We also see in Simeon, we see that he had the Holy Spirit of God upon him. And through the Holy Spirit, the power of God was revealed to Simeon that before he died, that he would actually meet the Lord's Christ. He would actually get to meet with his very eyes the one who would bring consolation to Israel. Which no doubt, this revelation, can you imagine how this must have further stoked his anticipation? Now in the text, we don't exactly know when this revelation was given to Simeon, when he would meet the Lord's Christ. But I kind of get the sense that this revelation was given to him like well before this scene. And I don't know this, but I wonder if this is like maybe years and years before this scene. So can you imagine what this must have been like for Simeon to have this revelation that stoked his anticipation? Can you imagine how he just wanted this promise to come quickly? Yet he had to wait. Now, I remember back when I was younger, I would order something like by mail. So this is like before like Amazon that gives you a pretty accurate like ETA of when packages would be delivered. Or you can even like track packages now to see where they're currently located. So like all points, you know when you can expect that which was going to be given to you. But back then, right, we had none of that. Rather, we would order something. We'd be incredibly excited for that package to arrive. But we, we would have absolutely no idea when it would come. So when I was a kid, I would make you know, some type of order by mail. And like every day, every day, with excitement, I'd run out to the mailbox to see if that which was promised had arrived. Like, would today be the day? Once again, I don't know how long Simeon had to wait between when it was revealed to him that he meet the Lord's Christ and our scene today. But I do wonder if this is like years and years and years of anticipation, where every day he would go to the temple wondering, would today be the day? By the way, I just think with every passing day that the promise was not fulfilled, that the day wasn't the day, Think how easily it would have been to start to like doubt the promise. Think how easily it would have been to move from like joyful anticipation of the promise to come, but to move into like sinful cynicism or frustration that the promise was not given in the timeline first anticipated. Perhaps even like doubting if the promise would ever truly come. Verse 27. We that Simeon, when he's at the temple, we see that Mary, Joseph, Jesus were also at the temple on that day. And the Spirit of God gave further revelation to Simeon. And the Spirit let Simeon know that that which was promised to him was now actually being fulfilled. That for him, the patient wait was now finally over. It was revealed to Simeon that baby Jesus was, is the Christ. That he is the long-anticipated Messiah. Verse 27, as this revelation was given to him, 
we see that Simeon, he's like over the moon. He is filled with excitement, with joy. The consolation of Israel had come. So for Simeon, in his great joy, we see in the text, that he goes over to the Christ child, and he picks our Lord up into his arms, which is an incredible thought to think about. And as Simeon held the Lord's Christ, we read that he gave an incredible blessing to God, a blessing that he gave through song. That we see Luke record for us in verses 29 through 33. By the way, just for sake of information, for church history, throughout church history, the song is referred to as like, like the now dismiss because of what the song sings. So verse 29, Simeon saying this, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. Or now let your servant dismiss in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which is Simeon looking, gazing upon Christ. He sees the salvation of God, a salvation that God has prepared for all eternity through the Christ, a salvation that is in the presence of all peoples, a light that is a revelation to the Gentiles, and a glory for your people, Israel. I should go back to our text from last week. As the angels met the shepherds who were out in the fields watching their flock by night, right, they declared the message of good news of great joy. It was a message for all peoples. Right, that's exactly what Simeon is affirming in this great song of prayer as he sees the Lord's Christ. That the light of salvation that Christ has brought was for all kinds of people, Jew and Gentile, all kinds of people that run the entire spectrum of mankind, including all here today. No matter where you fit into the spectrum of life, through Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ, God saves sinners, which is such good news. Friends, God did not leave us in our sin. He didn't leave us dead in our trespasses. But in his incredible love, through the incarnation of his eternal Son, Jesus the Christ. God saves his people. Verse 33. As Mary and Joseph watched this incredible scene unfold, as they heard Simeon sing this great song of praise, we see that they basically stood marveling that which Jesus said about Jesus. By the way, I was also thinking about this a little bit this week, this action here of Joseph and Mary. And this actually was kind of encouraging and challenging to me. So back up again, as mentioned, both Mary and Joseph, they had angels visit them. They were made aware that Mary would be the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophet in Isaiah, of the virgin giving birth. They both experienced a great scene with the shepherds where Mary pondered everything in her heart. The last few weeks, months leading up to our scene today, they had incredible events taking place all around them. This had to be some temptation to almost become like dull to God's work around them. It was all these things happening, almost like dull to the things of the Christ child. Almost like these things were becoming like old hat or boring or routine. Because so much is happening, almost like they're taking these things for granted the challenge I had this text. They're still marveling. They're still finding wonder and awe what was being said about their Christ child. This wasn't dull. 
This wasn't routine. He said, again, they're continuing to marvel about Jesus. By the way, friends, for those of us here who are Christians, this actually is a real part of our fight of faith. To still marvel. To still wonder. To still find awe concerning the Christ. Especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, it's really easy to start to take these things for granted. And even look at what we're doing like today. Like gathering together as God's people. Hearing from God in his word. Right? Living in community. These things can have a way of almost becoming like boring or dull or routine to us. Where we like start to take these things for granted. And we, we must fight the good fight of faith against those feelings. We must continue to press on to find awe and wonder of all the good gifts that God gives, specifically the good gift of Jesus. 34, verse 34. As Joseph and Mary marveled, we see that Simeon now turns his focus to them, and he prayed a blessing over them, which he pause again here. This is what happens when we, like Simeon, behold Christ, like he behold Christ in the previous verses. What happens in turn, now we begin to focus on others, seek to minister others. So in the text, as Simeon seeks to minister to others, he goes to Mary and Joseph, and he prays for these young parents. He also gives Mary a pretty hard word, a prophetic word for her, which is a word I think in part is an exposition of Psalm 2, which I'll let you read on your own. And in this prophetic word, Simeon turns and ministers to Mary and Joseph, Simeon specifically tells Mary a hard word that one day, this, that she's uh, a hard word that she's going to live with, anticipate, is one day this Christ child, he'd grow up, and he'd be the appointed one for the fall and rising for many in Israel. That this Christ child be a sign that is opposed. I mean, for Mary, she had to live in anticipation that Jesus would grow to be a controversial figure, where some will love him, but others will hate him. And others will hate Jesus with such hate, with such vigor. It'll feel like a sword will pierce Mary's own soul. Which here I think is a reference to the cross. Where Mary, the mother of our Lord, witnessed her son beaten to a bloody pulp. Beaten to the point that Jesus was not even fully recognizable as a man before he was nailed to the cross. Yet, in this word that Simeon gave Mary and Joseph, he also let him know that it was through the cross that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed, including the hearts of us today. Right? For some, right, we look to the cross. We look to Christ. We see the wisdom of God to salvation. We see the means by which God is bringing about comfort and peace. We look to the cross. We see Jesus. And we see good news of great joy because we see the forgiveness of our sin. By faith, if we look and we see Christ crucified, our hearts are filled with love and joy and peace. Right? Our hearts are revealed. But for others, perhaps you look to the cross and you only see folly. You look to the cross and it doesn't make sense to you. Perhaps you look to the cross and you're like, you know what? It's just not that important. Not relevant to you. So as you look to the cross... What it reveals is a heart that's hardened towards God. Friends, can I ask this Christmas morning? The Christ, the cross, 
What does it reveal about your heart? In our text for Simeon, this Christ child revealed a heart of great joy, joyful anticipation that he patiently waited for years to see. So for us, that's the first character. A character of joyful anticipation, patient, joyful anticipation. Then we keep going in the text. We see there's a second character who also exemplified patient anticipation for us. See this in verse 36. Verse 36, we see at the scene there's a prophetess, a woman named Anna who was at the temple that day. In this text, we see a little bit about her as well. She was a daughter of Phineal. We see that she was of the tribe of Asher, which is part of the northern tribe of Israel, located next to the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, we see in the text that Anna said she was advanced and aged. Uh, she was married for seven years when she was a virgin. But in verse 37, we see that upon this scene that she was now a widow for 84 years, which means that she's probably like over 100 years old. Verse 37. We see even though she was advanced in age, we see Anna was finishing well in her life. She still had a great passion for God, a real heart desire to worship God. Because of this passion to worship God, the scene today wasn't like she just so happened to be at the temple the very same time that Christ child was there. Rather, what we see that she's always at the temple. She had such a passion, she did not depart from the temple. Rather, day after day after day, she was there worshiping her God. Night after night, worshiping with fasting and prayer. Now, we don't know when she started this daily practice of worship at the temple. But I do think, once again, the text is wanting to see, like, she did this for years and years. Right? This was her practice. Boy, this is also a challenge that Anna gives us. I mean, think about it. She, she's a widow for 84 years. And think of all the challenges that would have brought to her, especially in this time period. This would not have been an ideal place to be culturally. Because think how easy it would have been for Anna to, to curse God for keeping her in this culturally less than ideal place for a long, long time. The challenge we see in Anna, rather than cursing God, she was worshiping God. Worshiping God with anticipation. Years and years she prayed this great prayer anticipation that God would fulfill his promise to send the Redeemer for Israel. Verse 38. We see as Anna, as she saw the Christ, we see that she understood that her patient prayers were answered. That she looked upon Jesus, she understood redemption had come. She realized that the Redeemer lived. And because of that, we see Anna began to thank God for him. We also see like the shepherds in our text last week. She now boldly begins to speak of Christ, testifying to the Christ, to all around her, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel to come. Testifying the Redeemer in Jesus Christ is here. The long, long, long and waited anticipation of the Old Testament all the way back to Genesis 3 in Jesus Christ has finally come. God has patiently fulfilled his plan. Now, 
to close our time here today, what I want to close with is just an encouragement for us to practice patient anticipation, particularly as we wait for the second Christmas that is to come, when our Lord returns for us. As mentioned, not as a humble baby, but when he returns, he comes as a conquering king. So let me give this encouragement two parts. First, anticipation side. Church, I'm going to keep saying it. We, we really should be people of anticipation. Anticipation of, of good. We should anticipate and we should long for the return of Christ. Right? God gave us that promise. He will return. Anticipate that promise. And he will come, and it will be like a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Right? Long for that return. Because when Jesus returns, as mentioned, all things will be made right. When Jesus returns, all of our tears will be dried. When Jesus returns, death will be no more. And all we will know is joy and peace. That will fill our hearts forever. And friends, that's going to be so sweet. Listen, there's nothing that this life offers that can compare to how sweet that time will be. So friends, yes, long and anticipate that day when Christ will be the one who holds us in his everlasting arms. Long for that day when our hearts will fully, completely be able to worship him in spirit and truth. So friends, if I can, let me encourage you to use the many things in life. To use many things, as many as you can, including Advent, to help anticipate that which is to come. To help get you excited for the second Christmas that is to come. Like even kind of what we're doing right now. Use this time where we are gathering together around the Word, around each other, as sweet as this time can be. Use this to anticipate how much better does that await us in heaven. Even things like eating and drinking that we enjoy today. Use those things to anticipate the better eternal feast that is to come. Even when hard things come your way, use those things to help you to anticipate one day all those things will be removed from you. You know, even open up Christmas presents. Use those things to let us, to let you anticipate the better gift, the indescribable gift that is Jesus Christ. Friends, by faith, live joyful, hopeful, eager anticipation. But at the same time, be patient. And trust that the Lord, he's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But the Lord, he's, he's patient towards us. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So friends, be patient. Wait upon the Lord. And as we patiently wait upon him, the model of our text is really a great model for us to follow. So patiently wait upon the Lord by seeking to follow his good commands. Like never, never think that we're above the commands of God. Patiently wait for God to work out all the various plans that he has for you. Even if those plans have you poor or seemingly lacking which could be more than just in financial lacking. But be patient. 
Be patient and continue to bring your worship to the Lord day after day after day. Be patient and continue to marvel at the things of God, specifically the things revealed to us in his word about Jesus. Friends, be patient and minister God's word to those around us, seeking to be a blessing that God has placed in your life. Be patient and trust that even the things in life that feel like they're piercing our souls, somehow God is using them. Be patient in the place that God has you, even if it's less than culturally ideal or if it's less than your own ideal. Be patient and continue to take time to fast and pray, knowing that not only does God honor our fasting and praying, but somehow he uses them to build his kingdom. Friends, be patient and continue to testify to those around us that in Jesus, the Redeemer has come. And even though our Redeemer was crucified, he's risen from the dead. And we know that our Redeemer, he lives. And because he lives, we live with great anticipation at the right time, at the fullness of time. He will come back for us. So by his grace and his love and his mercy, all we will know is the Merry Christmas that is to come. And friends, the only thing will mark our calendar when that better Christmas or the second Christmas, when that comes, the only thing we'll know is the fullness of his joy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, I do pray that you would stoke our anticipation of being with our Lord. Lord, please help us to be patient as you work out your great plan, including the plan in each of our individual lives. Lord, I do pray that for your glory that you might use Red Village Church in ways to proclaim uh, in great ways to proclaim uh, Jesus to the world around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.